0: Hello everybody and welcome to this very special episode of the ZSL Wild Science Podcast. I'm Moni Boom, Research Fellow here at the Zoological Society of London's Institute of Zoology and today I'm so excited I think I've got butterflies in my tummy because today we're going to celebrate. What are we celebrating, Moni? What are you going on about? Well, on June the 9th, there's a lot to celebrate. Now there's this website that I quite like for procrastination called daysoftheyear.com and that tells me that for one, the 9th of June is Donald Duck Day but you may be more inclined to celebrate it as Rosé Day with a glass of wine, or potentially you're more into Worldwide Knit-in-Public Day. They're all great celebrations, granted, but they're surely overshadowed by one event, and that's this year's inaugural World Swallowtail Day. So yes, 9th of June, World Swallowtail Day. But I hear you ask why, and how does one best celebrate World Swallowtail Day, and what are Swallowtails anyway? Well, you've come to the right place, because today, in this episode, we're going Swallowtail Mad. So let's start with the basics. Now swallowtails belong to the family Papillionidae and are one of the most magnificent family of the butterflies. Now butterflies together with moths make up the order Lepidoptera. Now there's quite a few Lepidopterans around there, there's probably around 18,000 species of butterflies and a staggering 160,000 species of moths worldwide, so quite a large group. Lepidoptera means scaly wings which is exactly what they have. Tiny little scales across their wings and they generally carry pigments so this is why we get these wonderful colours and patterns that we all love about butterflies and moths. But of course I digress. Back to the magnificent swallowtails. There's around 550 species of swallowtails around the world. There's species in North and South America, in Europe, in Asia, in Oceania, Australia, Africa, you name it. Why are they so magnificent? Well, for starters, the largest butterfly in the world is a swallowtail. But how large? It's large for a butterfly, Mon, I hear you ask. Well, the Queen Alexandra Birdwing, the largest butterfly in the world, can have a wingspan of up to 25 centimeters. So that's quite big. So there's a reason it's known as a birdwing. Size isn't everything though, everybody. So why else are swallowtails magnificent? Well, I suppose because, as it says on the tin, they have beautiful swallowtails imagine essentially extensions of the hind wings into tails like that of a swallow, so anything from like a small teardrop shape to long dagger-like shapes, some of them have just one tail, some have many of these tails on the hind wings, and welcome to the perplexing world of nature, some do not really have these swallowtails at all, yet they're still swallowtails. And if that's not enough, they are also often dazzlingly colourful. Some have bright green, bright turquoise, bright blue, bright orange bands across their wings. Some have multiple colours, generally all bright. So put together, size, shape and colour have really given us this wonderful group of butterflies that have been a prized possession for, for many collectors since they were first discovered. So to give you a taste of how collectors can get really excited about swallowtail butterflies... Birdwings are a group of around 35 species of really large swallowtails. We already talked about the Queen Alexandra Birdwing, the largest butterfly in the world. It's part of this group. And these are particularly dazzling to collectors and naturalists alike. Now, you're probably familiar with Alfred Russell Wallace, right? He's the guy who came up with a theory of evolution through natural selection at around about the same time that Charles Darwin did. And just like Charles Darwin, he's also written a book, The Malay Archipelago. And in it, there's a passage where he essentially... Pardon my language, loses his proverbial shit on his first ever birdwing butterfly capture. This is what he wrote. The beauty and brilliancy of this insect are indescribable, and none but a naturalist can understand the intense excitement I experienced when I at length captured it. On taking it out of my net and opening the glorious wings, my heart began to beat violently, the blood rushed to my head, and I felt much more like fainting than I have done when in apprehension of immediate death. I had a headache the rest of the day, so great was the excitement produced by what will appear to most people a very inadequate cause. So yes, things like birdwing butterflies, they give people excitement headaches. And that is where the problem comes in. Swallowtails have been collected for centuries. Fun fact, unless you're one of the butterflies, some of the birdwing butterflies, which fly generally really high up above the canopy of the tropical forest home, They've been literally shot from the sky by collectors in the Victorian times. Some of the old specimens in museums, for example, have little shot holes in the wings. Now this collection pressure has led to some of the species, the large birdwing butterflies for example, to be listed on the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Flora and Fauna. Or in short, thank goodness for that, CITES. Now what does that mean? CITES has two appendices that species can be listed on, Appendix 1 and Appendix 2. Now, Appendix 1 means that trade in these species is illegal, and Appendix 2 lists those species for which trade is strictly controlled. And I suppose, while there is potentially a very good joke in here about Appendix Cites, I shall probably remove this from the podcast. But anyway, that's enough from me now. Let's head to the butterfly house here at ZSL London Zoo and check out some of the wonderful specimens we have on show, and who better to come along than Mark Collins, Chair of the Swallowtail and Birdwing Butterfly Trust, or in short SBBT. He's also the brains behind World Swallowtail Day and was instrumental in the first global assessment of Swallowtails for the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species in 1985. Now that's an exercise that we are currently repeating here at ZSL, but more on this later. So hi Mark, welcome to our beautiful butterfly house.
1: Thank you Moni, it's great to be here, what a fantastic environment. Here we are amongst all the butterflies and the flowers, what could be better?
0: I'm not entirely sure this is where I come to escape whenever you know, I get stuck on a particular swallowtail assessment, I'm not going to lie. Have you spotted any yet?
1: There, I have, yes. There, I think we've got some, some of the more common swallowtails flying around. That's usually the ones they bring into, into butterfly houses. don't think there's any rarities in here.
0: No, not so much. I checked and all of the butterflies we have here, they're the ones that we're assessing as least mm. concern. Thank goodness. So, Mark, why swallowtails?
1: Well, swallowtails as emblems of insects, actually, is the way I see it. Because in the last six months or so, there's been more and more research coming out showing that worldwide there are some big problems with insects. Even in Europe, the biomass or the weight of the amount of insects around can be less than 25% of what it once was. We seem to be having a huge impact on insects, and we don't really know exactly why, although we think we've got some pretty good ideas. But a lot of these insects are very obscure, small, we don't know much about them, we don't understand them, but with the Swallowtails we know quite a lot. So the idea really with the Swallowtails is to use them as emblems, flagships, icons if you like, and see what's happening to Swallowtails, and from there maybe we can convince people that the rest of the insect world is important too.
0: I suppose swallowtails are so popular because they're just so ridiculously beautiful right i mean they're quite flamboyant they're the flamboyant kids of the butterfly world even. they're
1: very gaudy and very very yes they are and quite posh as well they're okay. so posh, <laughs> posh. i think they're how posh could, how can well, a
0: butterfly be posh queen
1: Alexandra's birdwing oh, yes. how posh can you get you know that's quite a title to have so queen alexander's birdwing you know is the biggest butterfly in the world from Papua New Guinea, a wingspan of a whole foot 30 centimetres. It's like a dinner plate flying over you. It's an amazing creature. There are lots of others that are much smaller, but they're fantastic creatures, very colourful, and the way they fly beautifully across, they're very nice.
0: So you set up the, and I always get this acronym wrong, the Swallowtail and Birdwing Butterfly Trust. That's it. What are you trying to achieve?
1: What we'd like to do is to get things done on the ground, in the field, at the grassroots because, as I think you know, we did a book years ago where we did an assessment showing that there were 50 or 60 species of swallowtails that were under threat. We did an action plan as well back in 1991, but to be honest, not a great deal happened. I couldn't carry on doing it for various reasons, career reasons, but in retirement, I managed to come back to it. And you know, with our, our small grants we've managed to get quite a few projects going around the world just to get things moving and some of them have been really quite surprising and successful.
0: So whereabouts are you working then?
1: Well, let me give you an example. In Sabah, in North Borneo, um, there's a species called the Kinabalu birdwing, and it lives on Mount Kinabalu, which is the highest mountain in Southeast Asia. And it used to be much more widespread, but it became very rare. But it was not really known locally by national parks or local people about this amazing, beautiful butterfly, actually, black and gold, that they had on their doorstep. So we set in place a small project locally with local people to find out more about it, see where it lived, see what it ate, and so on. And we got local communities involved, and I just heard this morning, actually, that a school in Kinabalu have designed a dance, and they have this dance of the golden bird wing, they call it, and this is being shown to all sorts of people. So now it's a famous bird wing.
0: Oh wow, that's awesome, It's yeah. awesome. I, w- I would quite like to learn the dance of the yeah, golden well. <laughs> bird wing, to be quite honest, although I do have two left feet.
1: No, I think you'd be good at it. <laughs> you think, does it,
0: does it involve wing flapping?
1: It does. I think
0: my level usually is the chicken dance. What are some of the other highlights? I hear there's some work on the...
1: The giant Jamaican swallowtail, sometimes called, or the Homerus swallowtail.
0: The Jamaican one, Shall we one talk is, about that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Massive black, blue, yellow, red butterfly. Gorgeous thing. Only found in Jamaica. And it's the uh, biggest butterfly in the Western Hemisphere. So it's the biggest butterfly in North or South America and the Caribbean. But it's become extremely rare. It's now confined to two small areas of very mountainous forest, one in eastern and one in western Jamaica. So we're working there with local professor and local students to figure out what we might be able to do to try and get these butterflies back on their feet again. It involves some genetic studies, so we're looking to see how different these two populations are at the moment, using DNA coding and all that modern stuff. Once we can see if they're the same or not, we'll start to devise more of an on-the-ground conservation policy.
0: And so this is a species that's the focus of this first inaugural World Swallowtail Day, right?
1: Yeah, we we thought we'd put this one up as a, a on the front page. There's it, so many
0: to choose from.
1: There one. are there are a lot, and uh, but th- this one it's a very it's a very lovely butterfly, and we've got some excellent people on the ground, you know, working on it. But um, as ever, we need to increase interest and raise some resources to help us get the project going. It's been on the cards for decades, as a matter of fact. This butterfly was protected under the Convention on international trade endangered species 30-40 years ago because it was at one time collected um, there was a worry about it. I don't personally think that worry is so great these days because the local people respect this butterfly but not a lot has been done to actually increase the habitat available to it and uh, you know we need to get that sort of work going as well as just outright protection.
0: And I suppose it's nice to highlight also the less posh butterflies and so not <laughs> just the big Queen Alexandra birdway. <laughs> Speaking of less posh butterflies, I suppose we have a Swallowtail here in the UK as well.
1: Yes. Um, How is that one doing? Well, the jury's out a little bit on this one. The British Swallowtail, as we tend to call it, is a subspecies of Papillomachion, which is a, a butterfly that's actually very common around the whole of the Northern Hemisphere. But ours in the UK is a rather special one. It only feeds on one plant, the caterpillar, only feeds on one plant. It's milk parsley, which only grows in Fenland, reed beds and such like. It used to occur much more widely in East Anglia, Cambridgeshire, Suffolk and Norfolk. It's now confined to Norfolk for its breeding. A lot of the places where it lives are along river banks. I'm worried because the latest predictions for climate change and sea level rise suggest that the sea level could rise by a metre over the next well, within a century at the latest. But even half a metre of sea level rise in Norfolk will increase the level of salinity of the rivers, the main rivers in Norfolk. And if, as they often do, those rivers overflow into these riverside reserves, then the milk pasty cannot survive. It needs 100% fresh water. If we lose the milk pasty, we lose the swallowtail. So I'm worried about the sites where it survives, even though when you go there, you'll see them relatively easily. But are they secure? Perhaps not.
0: So what can we do about it? What's the kind of action that we need for this? Well,
1: that's a question that I'm beginning to ask um, some of the reserve managers. And in fact, I'm planning to have a conference to try and bring some of the reserve managers together, see what they think, how can they mitigate this problem, how can they prevent it. In many cases, I don't think a lot can be done because of the cost of building up riverbanks and all the rest of it. A lot of these places will probably have to be more or less given up. So we need to take the Swallowtail further into the interior, if you like, of England, further up the rivers where the salt water won't get. So I think we could look at sites for that purpose. There's also a small chance there is milk parsley in Somerset in the Avalon Marshes Reserve, but no swallowtails, and we're not sure whether they've ever been there or not, but that's a place where we could potentially introduce them, which would be fun. Mm,
0: that would be fun. You also got yourself a little fan while you were talking, a glass butterfly. Also, very my pretty. fan, yeah.
1: Any butterfly would do, <laughs> any butterfly
0: would do. Okay, so that's the swallowtail that we have here in the UK. Now, there was also a really interesting story that we heard about last year, which is that actually on the island of Fiji, a whole new species of swallowtail was discovered. Yeah,
1: that was amazing, that was so amazing! Absolutely I mean, incredible, like a really, really
0: stunning looking,
1: beautiful thing. thing yeah, and nobody knew it was the Natiwa there. swallowtail has been named now, but yeah, it was it just came out of the blue. I had an email from a friend of mine in an outfit called Operation Wallacea that takes students to out-of-the-way places and they sent me a photograph, said uh, we've taken a photograph of this butterfly, they have not collected it, it's taken a photograph, can you tell me what it is? Well I couldn't. And I looked at it and there was only one swallowtail on Fiji so actually my skills were not stretched that far because there was only <laughs> one to choose from and it wasn't that one. So I wrote back and said well you know this is something different. Of course a lot of people couldn't believe this and we we had to ask questions is this a real photograph Has something being done here or what is it being released from somewhere but we looked into all of this and no 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 it was genuine so the year after this was last year 2018 um, operation wallacea was out there again and worked with our trust we had two people involved in the project and they went out there to look for the butterfly and yoohoo they found it and uh, it's amazing it's a beautiful new butterfly amazing
0: And obviously that also meant that instantly i added it on our list of species (laughs) to of course you did (laughs) you just never run out of work with this kind of i know
1: well let's hope we'll keep keep you busy for a long time we'll discover lots more
0: what are you going to do on World Swallowtail Day?
1: Well, the first thing is the Trust is sending out what we call a resource pack to places all over the world. We've got people doing World Swallowtail Day in Singapore, in Jamaica, you know, in America, Missouri, in Borneo, in different places, all over the place. So we're sending them different things for children, like a colouring book and so on. We're sending a video about Swallowtails. We're sending a PowerPoint showing what the Swallowtails of the world look like. All these sort of things just to kind of beef it up a bit and give people information that they need. Locally, though, we believe in doing stuff on the ground, so locally I'm going to be working at Wheat Fen Reserve just outside Norwich, which is well known for its swallowtail populations there, and we're going to be putting up the marquee, inviting people in, we're going to be doing field trips with the Wheat Fen staff, and we're going to be showing people videos and so on about what's going on around the world. should be a great day, as long as the sun shines.
0: I can't let you go without asking you what's your favourite swallowtail.
1: Oh, my goodness, me. Like Uh, choosing between your (laughs) children
0: or something. Don't make me do that. Oh, my
1: goodness. Well, I wasn't really ready for that one. I wasn't ready for that one. I suppose the obvious answer is the British Swallowtail, which, you know, I have a home just three miles from where it lives, I suppose, at a local level. It is my favourite. But I think, from the trust point of view, the one that we really hope that something good will happen is Queen Alexandra's Birdwing in Papua New Guinea. Its uh, range has been severely depleted by agriculture, oil palm plantations and smallholder agriculture as well. You know, it's had a lot of problems. There's a new project started there in association with the oil palm industry and significant resources are being put into setting up a breeding establishment, hopefully to introduce it to new areas and to you know, get it back to what it once was when it was first discovered by a British naturalist or more than a hundred years ago. I suppose that's got to be one of my favorites and one of my big hopes for the future.
0: I already mentioned it, but here at ZSL we are currently carrying out a full comprehensive assessment of all the world's swallowtails for the IUCN Red List of threatened species, just like Mark did in 1985. Now what is the IUCN Red List of threatened species? Well, the IUCN Red List uses a set of quantitative categories and criteria to essentially assess the extinction risk of species, from low risk or least concern, that's for widespread species, stable species for example, or species for which there's no threat, to the near-threatened category, that's when things are starting to get into trouble, followed by the three threatened categories of vulnerable, endangered and critically endangered, and then ultimately the categories of extinct in the wild and extinct. And there's also the data-deficient category, which is used for species for which we lack sufficient data, and so cannot really place them on our extinction risk scale, so they could be anything from least concern to critically endangered or even extinct, we just don't know. Now how have we gotten on so far with our assessment? Well so far we've published around 80 species on the red list with another nearly 100 submitted or in final review. Now so far this includes all the birdwing species, we thought we'd start big and a good chunk of Neotropical and Indo-Malayan species as well as a few others from other regions too. Now, running assessments like this is a very work-involved process and would not be possible without the help of a large number of experts. So here's a quick shout-out to everybody who gave and is still giving their expertise to this project. Thank you so much for helping out. Now, so far, 179 of the species we assessed. We have listed 20 as threatened. None of them are listed in the highest threat category of critically endangered. Now, 20 out of 179, that's around 11%. Another 20, so another 11%, have been assessed as near-threatened. That essentially means that they are close to meeting the criteria for a threatened category. 130 species, or around three quarters, 73% if you want to be pedantic, are least concerned, and only nine species have so far been assessed as data deficient. We have also already seen that, yes, the most important threat does come from habitat loss, and this is especially pronounced in those species which are highly habitat or food plant dependent. Now, some of the least concerned species, for example, can utilise a number of food plants. For example, there are many species which can feed on citrus plants. Citrus species are often cultivated by us humans, and so these species have a ready supply of food plants at their disposal. Other species may be fooled to feed on the wrong food plant. Here's Mark again. So, Mark, there's one more really interesting story that I want to ask you about, and that's the Richmond Birdwing. That's a little bit of a conservation success
1: story. It's it a is real indeed conservation success. That's right. It is the Richmond Birdwing is a magnificent swallowtail from the east coast of Australia, around Brisbane and Queensland area. And um, over many decades, its habitat has become fragmented, and it became increasingly rare. And another problem was that a vine was imported as a garden plant, which the butterfly mistook for being its food. Plant, the caterpillar food plant, it would lay its eggs on this foreign vine caterpillars would hatch and they were killed by the vine instead of surviving on it. So there's been a big movement to get rid of that vine and also to grow in local garden centres many, many more of the vines that these butterflies actually need. And whole communities have started growing these vines and putting them in their gardens and going out and looking for the Richmond Birdwing. It's been very successful. And there's a whole sort of Facebook page about this which you can look at where people go on and go, yay, I've got one in my garden and it's... it's I really like the project because it's got good science behind it, but it's community-based and it just shows what people can do on their own. You don't have to be part of some huge organization to achieve something. It's a great story.
0: I suppose this is often the story as well when we talk about pollinator declines, or other insect declines Mm. as well, is that we can actually do so much for species that are native to our parts of the world just by planting the right things in the garden.
1: I think so. In fact, I've just last autumn I planted a wildflower, a little wildflower garden in my own place up in Norfolk just a small patch but it's it's growing like crazy and I get loads of insects and there's lots of things we can stop doing as well like using too many pesticides and herbicides which don't seem to be so good for for our insect life. So yeah as as individuals we can do things and we should and we will.
0: right. so we've learned a lot already about swallowtails so where could you go and experience swallowtails on World Swallowtail Day? Well Butterfly houses are a good place to visit if you're nowhere near a wild swallowtail. So what are butterfly houses all about? Why do we have them? And what's in a butterfly house? Well, let's go back to CSL London Zoo's butterfly paradise and see what's going on there. And let's meet a guy with a really cool office. So we're back in the Butterfly House here at CESL London Zoo, and with me now is Mark Tansley, Senior Keeper senior for keeper Bugs. Senior yeah,
2: we're also but Butterfly Paradise. Yeah. And has
0: the best office in the world, surely, here <laughs> yeah. in the Butterfly House. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's generally really busy in the Butterfly House. Why do you think that visitors love it so much?
2: Oh, well, it's because it's basically butterflies flying freeform just around you, so, so it's total immersion. You're actually in the uh, in the cage, if you like. It's hot and humid and there's hundreds of tropical butterflies flying around you in a tropical environment. So what's not to like, basically? Yeah. Oh, that, is, that
0: is true. Yeah. It was a bit of a stupid question. Really. <laughs> How many butterflies have you got here?
2: How many? Well, every two weeks I actually do a census of butterflies. And I've been doing that for many years now. And two days ago I counted 235. And that included 40 of the malachite butterfly and over 40 of the glasswing butterfly. So that's just a guesstimate, but I'm sure there are many more individual butterflies than that in here. I also have to count the pupa as well, so I count the pupa and give an indication of how many pupa are in Butterfly Paradise at any one time.
0: Well, there's a lot of counting in your job. <laughs> yeah. um, how do you get all these visitors involved in finding out more about the butterflies? I saw some really cool Butterfly Spotters guides. Yeah, that you've we got use here.
2: The, we use the guides a lot. You know, they're very good. Especially the volunteers give the children the guides and give them a the challenge to look for the more uh, regular species that we get in here. We always explain the life cycle of the butterfly and uh, see if the children can get the correct stage in the right order from egg to butterfly. We have a small tray of used moth cocoons, so the children can touch them, and we can explain the difference between a pupa and a cocoon. It's interesting because we do try to promote moths, but because a lot of people, if you tell them that the butterfly that they're looking at is a moth, many people are horrified, and I have almost witnessed them walk out in disgust.
0: That's so weird. Why do you think that is? Moths just are awesome, and the moths you've got here, like and you, if you look at the Atlas moths, for example, they're fabulous. I know,
2: I think it's just because they just get a bad press, basically, the moths. And because they fly at night, you know, and there's more fear mm. attached to moths. They fly in people's faces and stuff like that. They seem a bit, a bit more sinister. But uh, we try to explain that they're just as important uh, as butterflies.
0: Indeed. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I really, I never really thought about the fact that people might be kind of repulsed by moths.
2: Yeah, right? oh, yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. they are. It's, it's <laughs> amazing how much people, like, as soon as they say it's a moth, they're like, oh, you yeah. know, there's some sort of, like, ingrained brain thing, I'm yeah. sure where people are not uh, happy about moths, you know. But some of the moths we get in here, you know, some of the moon moths are unbelievable, you know, the yellow, yellow, green, with long tails.
0: So I suppose given that it's, well, Swallowtail coming up, uh, what Swallowtails have we got here?
2: well we have quite a selection from southeast asia from our supplier near chiang mai uh we have common swallowtails we have the scarlet mormon swallowtails we have the asian swallowtail and uh, the lime swallowtail i can see them
0: excellent you don't even need a spotters guide. (laughs) very good no 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 The lime swallowtail, for example, that's a really quite widespread species, isn't it? So I suppose most of the species we've got here, they're actually the ones that are quite widespread and are pretty safe in their conservation status.
2: Yeah, all of the butterflies that we have in Butterfly Paradise are common species. They're all bred for us by uh, suppliers in uh, Costa Rica or Southeast Asia, all sustainably farmed.
0: Which I suppose is really important because trade is one of the things that I suppose, particularly when you talk about a swallowtail, they're so flamboyant and so beautiful, and they're kind of on a collector's hit list yeah, quite often. A is lot of the
2: bird wings, yeah, particular swallowtails, yeah, they go for lots of dollars, don't they?
0: Our responsibility here is to make sure that we source them responsibly. And I suppose the program, for example, in
2: Costa Rica that you were talking about... Yeah, um... El Bosque Nuevo. That's our main supply of Costa Rican butterflies, which is in uh, Santa Cicilina. It's a 285 hectare plot. Uh, Half of it is protected with rainforest. So if we buy the pupa, they plough the money back into the rainforest to repopulate the forest. But also there's a research area there and a laboratory, they do eco tours. There's about 16 people who all will live locally, they all look after the rainforest, but they rear lava to pupa stage and then sell to butterfly houses, you see. All the profits go back into conservation.
0: What role do you think a butterfly house like this plays then in conservation? What can we do here at ZSL to tell the story of butterflies? i think
2: we can just promote butterflies basically and talk about the life cycle and basically the food plants and i think these days i I get told a lot of times that there wasn't as many butterflies as there used to be you know i think people need to be educated with use of pesticides and changing gardening habits less decking in the garden and things like that you know
0: and planting for butterflies yeah well. planting that's for really butterflies which
2: which the zoo is doing a lot more of these days the zoo does a lot of wildflower planting now uh, planting of seeds and also uh butterfly friendly plants so definitely trying to get the message across and trying to attract more native butterflies and bees as well
0: so one of the cool things that I've seen over there on one of the plants is a larvae that looks like a bird pea
2: oh yeah that's that's generally, tail, right? Generally, yeah, the sword tail, the butterfly caterpillars look like that in the four instars. In the fifth instar they change into usually a green skin, but definitely, yeah, the, the more camouflaged and look more like bird feces, yes. Excellent. To and blend in. Yes, know, absolutely. Like...
0: The other thing that you showed me earlier on that was really cool
2: yeah, for there our material
0: yes absolutely where you essentially nudged one of the one of the larvae
2: yeah that's sort of a defense mechanism as well it's called osmoteria and it's strong smelling it's a forked organ which which appears behind the head capsule it actually comes out and it deters parasitic wasps that could lay their eggs on the caterpillar's back basically
0: and mm-hmm. deters from people nudging it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, like. I I've got to ask you one more question. What's your favorite butterfly in here?
2: Well, a lot of them, I mean, as I said, I, I really like the moth species that we have in here, but, Yeah, probably if I had to choose one, it would be a dryadula species from Costa Rica, which is known as the flambeau or the tiger butterfly. Excellent. Which is orange with black stripes, you see. Yeah, I think I've
0: just seen one fluttering by somewhere over there, and it does look like a tiger.
2: We don't get them that often, you see, so when you get them, it's great.
0: And there you have it. Happy World Swallowtail Day, everybody. And remember, you don't have to be called Mark to show your appreciation to the world's butterflies. Go to the Swallowtail and Birdwing Butterfly Trust's website and find out about this year's poster species, the Homerus swallowtail. And of course you heard Mark Collins, Wild Swallowtail Day is really just a gateway drug to show the love for all of our Lepidoptera and other insect friends. So think about planting wildflowers in your garden, food plants for caterpillars and use less pesticides. You can get great tips on how to garden for butterflies on Butterfly Conservation's website at butterfly-conservation.org. There are also many recording schemes you can take part in as a citizen science. For example, check out Butterfly Conservation's Big Butterfly Count. That's coming up later in this year. I think it's running from the 19th of July to the 11th of August. And you heard Mark Tansley show your appreciation for moths as well. Hashtag moths matter. And of course, if you feel so inclined, you can celebrate World Swallowtail Day dressed in a Donald Duck suit while knitting a swallowtail in public. And if you must, you can even raise a glass of rosé to swallowtails all over the world. I may just join you in this right now.